Get some recipes. Yeah. Yes, sir. I can't believe you've done this. Welcome to the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that explores personal evolution through our choices and overcoming life's challenges. The Evolve community is your ultimate destination for personal growth and evolution. True to form, I'm, I get to continue to be the dumbest person in the room. That's fantastic. Thank you. Did you ever get a, uh, uh, a quantum physical uh, explanation for how to uh, bake a meatloaf from a porn star? Bake a meatloaf from a porn star? recovery and when you listen to some of his podcasts so you know todd one of the things that uh, we were talking about before the, the way that we like to start our pre-show in the podcast is asking our guests what's something that's inspiring right you right now are you listening to some music or some sort of artwork is it a person is it a book what's what's kind of turning you on to life right now yeah, that's a great question it's a it's a book called mind is the master by james allen and james allen is famous for writing the book as a man thinketh oh okay and this book called mind is the master it's his complete treasury in one book so it's got every book he's ever written i mean it's this big thick over a thousand pages and i just finished it about a year ago it took me six years to get through it <laughs> wow and and you know if you're like me you you know you read something and it's like i mean i can retain a little bit of it but there's so much that i didn't retain and so i'm actually going back through it and that is something i'm not kidding you when i read his words i'm just blown away i mean he wrote this back in the you know like 1901 two and three and four and i don't know how this guy knew this information back then it's just unbelievable and so to be honest that is the one thing i look forward to it. i do this thing called my hour of power every morning and right. this book is a portion of that hour power and that really gets my blood pumping and um, i've learned so much from that guy and continue to do so so i would say that's awesome something yeah. you know you and i've talked about your hour of power before and i think it's such a great yeah. um thing i want to dive into that a little bit later in the show Sure. Um, but I love, I, you're, you're speaking my language. You're certainly speaking miles language when you're talking about slow reading a book and just going back through. In fact, miles and I were talking earlier today about taking something, dissecting it, journaling it, taking notes through the book. Uh, I think, uh, if more people did that, we would have less problems in society if we just, sure. uh, you know, absorbed things slowly. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I always play with the idea. It's like a joke, but and I've always wanted to do this as a stand-up comic. Um, <clears throat> the, the self-help industry is is literally like a drug. It is a drug. And yeah. you, you read something and you, you kind of read it like a novel and you, you get this fix. And after you get the fix, you put the book down. Yeah. And now you're on to the next fix. Yeah. And you're looking and looking and looking. And, you know, um, part of my library, three a, a quarter of my library is nothing but self-help books. And it's only in the last few years that I've literally said to myself, what the fuck am you doing? 
<laughs> you know, I, I think how you're supposed to read a self-help book is you open it up, you read it. The first word or sentence that resonates, you close the book and you play with that resonance. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because self-help, it's not self-help. You're getting help from somebody else. Somebody wrote that, right? right? So <laughs> right. it's an oxymoron in and of itself. But when you think about self-help in today's society, it's very much a philosophical exploration. Um, you know, you, uh, the great philosophers of old, Plato, Socrates, it's the same concept. It's how do you improve your life? How do you create some evolution here? So with that, we want to start the Evolve podcast. And Todd Sylvester, we are excited uh, as can be to have you on, my friend. Uh, we are really fortunate to have you. Uh, Todd uh, currently serves as a mentor and personal development coach. Uh, for those who are looking to get more out of life, uh, he also works at and what he calls the best university on the planet, Wasatch Recovery and Treatment Center as a belief system counselor. Uh, Todd, you've spoken to multiple groups across the world, really at this point, on self-help, growth, development, and recovery. And I think that this, uh, the genesis of it came from your own personal experience. Uh, as you mentioned here in your bio, where you spent your youth addicted to drugs and alcohol. So, Todd, we're really excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to to be a part of what you're doing, Steve. I you you've known I I love what you do and how you live your life, and to be a part of what you're doing, I, I feel honored to be here, and I'm grateful. Well, to thank be you. Miles. Yeah, we're excited to have a conversation with you today. I mean, you are uh, a true success in the podcasting world as well. Your belief cast, uh, Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast, just went over 106,000 downloads. Uh, so congratulations on that. Yeah, You've got a couple of books out there that we'll talk about. Um, I think the one that I most recently read was I Am Recovered. Is that right? Is that Am I saying yes. it correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Number one seller on Amazon, and um, you know, really, uh, Todd, you've you've made a career out of helping people, and I think that uh, I, I got to give credit where credit's due. So, when I started this idea of saying, "Hey, I want a podcast," because I love to talk to interesting people and I love to have interesting conversations, you were the first person I went to because I have seen what you've done over the years, and you've been very successful at doing it. And I want to thank you for all of the help that you gave to get this thing up and going, because if it weren't for you, we would not be talking to the two or three listeners that we have right now. <laughs> you told okay. me I was the first person to come to. Yeah. Well, well yeah. that's just to get you to come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. my lie. <laughs> well, like, like we were talking earlier, Steve, you got to start somewhere. And I think what you two guys are trying to do and, and with the podcast, I, you know, you guys have a wealth of knowledge and obviously Miles, Miles brings just more than the cool, but uh, I think you guys will do some amazing things with this. So hopefully I can help kickstart some things for you here a little bit. Yeah, we appreciate that. You know, and I, I love how, you, you know, somebody is successful when their podcast has a sponsor and Todd's podcast, when you listen to it, he actually has a sponsor. So I thought, Hey, we're going to, we're going to say that we have a sponsor today. Uh, in fact, I think we probably have two sponsors. The first sponsor is my wife's chocolate chip cookies, because that's what's fueling me through this podcast today. And Miles, you've been posting some amazing food on your Instagram lately. Uh, what, what's your sponsor for today? Is it the salmon? My sponsor? No, the shard. 
Oh, the shard. Okay. Would be the shard and having a love affair with shard. <laughs> <laughs> You've been making some beautiful food on your Instagram. So today's podcast is sponsored by Danielle's oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. Todd, I'll bring you over some after. Okay. Uh, and then cool. Miles' love affair with shard. So Todd, um, gosh, we're really excited to have you here. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how did you make the change going from a guy who has struggled um, with addiction to becoming the guy who helps other people to get through that addiction and come out on the other side in a much better way? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, uh, probably it's kind of difficult to answer because there's a lot behind that. But you know, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol close to 10 years and it was a very difficult, dark time. And, you know, you, you know, addiction always comes with loss. You start losing things. And one of the things I lost back then was, I uh, had a full ride basketball scholarship and that was my passion growing up. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to get a college scholarship and then, you know, you always have hopes and aspirations and dreams to play in the pros. I don't, I don't know if I ever had the, that type of talent or the body to go play in the pros, but that was my, that was my dream. Well, they did call you Todd the bot, didn't they? <laughs> no, maybe, I don't know. I doubt it. Um, I, I was, I was skinny. I was so skinny, Steve. You, you, you remember you were my trainer for a while, you know, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so I lost this scholarship that I had worked so hard. I mean, starting in uh, seventh, sixth and seventh grade, I was practicing basketball two to three hours a day as a seventh grader. I mean, that mm -hmm. if you think about it, how many kids are out there outside shooting hoops right now in the cold, you know, scraping off the snow off the court and, and shooting? And it's rare to find that nowadays, unfortunately. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing, Todd, because <laughs> you just said what we used to do. I, I had the this, the same aspirations, even got close. But you, you really hit a nerve when you said shovel in the snow yeah. and play basketball. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think all three of us share that passion for basketball. I you know, mine was uh, shovel in the snow, but I love to go out and shoot in the rain. I don't know what it was. There was something about if I, I felt like if I could dribble and shoot and play when it was yeah. pouring rain outside, then when I got inside and it was, <laughs> there was no weather, uh, I, I was a lot better. Yeah. So as you were going through and practicing and, uh, you know, getting into your basketball career at a very young age, um, you talked about that that was something that you lost through this process. Yeah. And, and when that happened, I mean, you think about it, you work, you know, basically it was everything in my whole life up to that point, something I was passionate about. I uh, finally achieved the goal that I had been dreaming of and then I lost it. And when that happened, the addiction and everything else, the abuse of drugs and alcohol and partying just got 10 times worse. And it got to the point where I was just ready to end my life. And so I had planned my suicide and you know, I was getting ready to, I had it all planned out, getting ready to kill myself. And it was this one latch ditch effort. And, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, I, I reached out to my, to a higher power when I didn't believe in a higher power. I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up religious or believing in, in that stuff. And, but it was one of those things where I thought, you know what, you know, cause I had overheard some friends talking about, you know, prayer and stuff. And I thought, man, is there a God? And would that happen? And, 
anyway, long story short, I, I reached out in my darkest moment right before I'm getting ready to end my life. And, you know, I, I, I got a response and uh, it changed everything at that point, Steve. And, you know, and again, I'm jumping way ahead here, but looking back on it, it is, I almost felt like it was so miraculous to me um, that at that moment when that happened, I said to myself, I want to help people for the rest of my life because I went from feeling like or believing that I wasn't good enough, that I looked funny, that no one likes me, that uh, life sucks, um, I suck, to I love living. I'm grateful to be alive. I, I can't believe I am alive. I, I'm breathing today. What a, what a gift that is. And I want to go help people live that way. And so I have dedicated my life. I've been clean now, clean and sober now for 31 years. Wow. And I've done over 11,000 coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. And when I, and the reason why I say that, I, I just pinch myself. I'm like, I can't believe when I think of where I was and where I am now, it just blows my mind. And, and you know, even sitting here talking to you two amazing guys, I mean, I, I, I consider this like an honor and a blessing. And had I not, had I not gone through it, so, you know, kind of taking a little bit of a segue, but if, if I could go back and talk to my addiction, like if I could walk back to it and say, hey, addiction, and say something to it, you know what I would say? I would say, thank you. And I'd give it a big hug. Why? Because I'm talking to you two guys today, you know, Miles and, and Steve. I, I mean, had I not gone through that, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you two. And so I just pinch myself even right now and say, thank you guys for giving me this opportunity to hopefully share some things that will inspire your listeners and, and maybe make a difference today. Yeah. I appreciate Isn't it interesting how the darkest, the darkest, if, if, somehow you're allowed to have vision in your darkness, your darkness becomes yeah. your ally. Yeah, for you sure. You gotta have it, that you, vision, yeah. There's an old statement, Miles, that reminds me what you just said is, the greater the darkness, the greater the light. Greater the light, yeah. And, yeah, and it's like the depths that you've gone down into that darkness, when you, when you, hopefully you can pull yourself out or you've got, obviously you get a lot of help to do that, but the light you'll enjoy will be amazing. It's like, you know, I heard it once said like this, the seed has to contend with the darkness before it can enjoy the light. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, again, I feel so fortunate to, to be able to be in a position to, to help some people and, and some guide some people at this point in my life. And Was I think it a moment? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Steve. Go ahead. You, how, how old were you at this time, Todd, when, when this uh, seminal moment, this change for you happened? It was between the ages of 22 and 23 years old. So I took my okay. first sip of alcohol when I was 11. And, uh, and then that just opened up the floodgates for me. I, I learned at a very young age, I had this all or nothing mentality. If I, if I'm in, I'm all in. If I'm out, I'm, I mean, I'm, I won't even mess with it. And, you know, to this day, I'm still wrestling with that mentality. That mentality can be very powerful and good, all or nothing, right? Especially if you're doing something good. And yeah. I, I really do credit a lot of my success with the podcast and the and the book and coaching and speaking events and things like that, because I'm all in, man. I'm all into trying to make a difference in this world. 
but at times it can also bite me in the butt <laughs> when, you know, I, I go work out with my wife and I'm over there killing myself and she's looking at me going, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm working out. She goes, you're, you're being, you're being ridiculous. Slow it down. <laughs> you know? You know? Um, so anyway, I got to kind of play with that and find, try to find a balance, but that's kind of the mentality I had. And so I'm all into helping people and I'm going to do it till the day I die. Yeah, I love that. And and you can really see that in, in everything that you do. Um, but you're a pretty unique guy, Todd. And I think you know that in that you were able to see some sort of light in that darkness and to get uh, uh, to the other side. You know, this last week, uh, I'm sure you know, uh, because we, we live in the same neighborhood, same area, uh, but there was a, a young man at my daughter's high school that uh, ended up taking his life, and we didn't know him, we'd never met him, but my daughter's boyfriend was really good friends with him, and the reverberations of suicide go through the family, the community, and yeah. everybody, and unfortunately, um, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but the true epidemic that's happened before the pandemic has been the rise of suicide. Um, I would say about probably five years ago, five, six years ago, my wife and I were at a uh, funeral of a, a friend um, and, and primarily a friend of her brothers that had decided to, it was time for him to end his life. And what a horrific thing it was to sit there and see people talk about this great man and all of the things that he had done for them. And at some point he just decided uh, that he couldn't see the light anymore and he decided to uh, to end it. And I, I remember uh, researching at that time how prevalent suicide was because in that year, I think in my realm of people that I knew, there were about five or six different people that had passed away uh, via suicide. So you are somebody that's very unique that's come onto the other side of it. And, and we have seen this epidemic rise in suicide in the United States. So in your work, Todd, how are you helping people to get beyond those thoughts? And if there's somebody out there that has considered or is considering whether or not their life is worth living, what is some of the messaging that you give to them? Yeah, it's uh, you're, you're spot on, uh, Steve. It's it's unfortunate that I mean, really, the true pandemic or epidemic is suicide and addiction. I mean, back in April of last year, when when things really you know, when COVID first started coming out and we started closing down. Uh, relapse was up in the country of the United States a thousand percent. It was ridiculous um, how how prevalent relapse was for people. And uh, I mean, I'm still seeing clients every day who've done that. And again, unfortunately, suicide is is you know on the rise. You know, in my world, I always say connections the opposite of addiction. Hmm. And what happened is is with this pandemic is everyone's had to kind of on some level disconnect. You know, we, 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 we're not going out as much anymore. We kind of had to isolate at home. We had to, you know, kids aren't going to school. And I mean, and then, you know, now they're going to school, but then they go for two weeks, someone gets COVID. Now they're not going to school for another three weeks. And I'll tell you this lack of connection. See, I really believe that we're more, when we're most, we're most alive when we are connected to someone else. So if there's someone listening to this right now who is in a 
very dark place. I, I got to be honest, you, we have to reach out and connect. We have to tell someone because, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, there's some kid out there who's in his basement room with the door shut and no one's around. I mean, no one's, unfortunately, no one's going to be coming running in, into that door to save them. So we, when we're in that dark moment, man, we have to reach out. Um, and that's why it's important for you and I and Miles, when we're walking around, if we see someone struggling, we should do our part and reach out to them the best that we can. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I have to reach out if I'm struggling. So I would challenge any of your listeners, please reach out to anyone, reach out to me after this, reach out to you guys, whatever. But uh, we have to, we have to connect again. Yeah, I, I love that. Connection is the opposite of addiction. And I think it's, you know, we've talked a, a little bit about this concept on the podcast already, Todd, that um, our society, the technology has grown so rapidly in society that our ability to handle it from an emotional standpoint has not. Our emotional intelligence has lagged relative yeah. to the pacing of technology. And I think that we are, there are many drugs out there and, um, Social media is one of the biggest right now that sure. is depressing the moods. It's depressing our ability to actually sit and feel things. And so we're becoming more and more disconnected from the world around us. And I think that it's, as I look at it from my perspective, we're losing our ability to connect and we are losing our ability to see, to emotionally, um, you know, to have some empathy, to, to notice that somebody is struggling and, and to reach out. But your mantra of connection is the opposite of addiction is beautiful, that if there is anyone out there that hears this, sees this, they can reach out and they can have a conversation and there's a connection there. And I think yeah. that that's one of the things that, uh, you know, is, is a beautiful thing in this world because of technology, that if we use it the right way, we can create those connections. Now, you coach people, uh, Todd, face-to-face -face a lot of the time, but mm -hmm. you also coach people over um, over Zoom or other media, correct? Yeah, correct. So yeah. What, are, what are some of the most common situations that you're dealing with right now? I know you mentioned that you've got a lot of people who have relapsed in the pandemic. What are some other common coaching scenarios that you're seeing right now um, that you're having to help people in uh, in the midst of this, uh, the pandemic? A lot of uh, lack of, of, of hope. A lot mm -hmm. of, I, I hear this a lot with my clients that they feel as though we're not going to recover from this. Um, and it, they almost feel like this hopeless scenario. I get that a lot. Um, the other big one, but the, you know, it's always been big, but it's probably intensified because of this is just the, the, the anxiety that my clients are suffering with. And, and what happens is, is with, like you said, um, lack of emotional intelligence around anxiety um, is keeping them stuck and, and suffering. And so my job is to help them, you know, gain some awareness around what anxiety truly really is and help them, you know, uh, empower themselves to overcome it, which is pretty fascinating to watch. But, you know, it's about, it's a tough one, Steve and, and Miles, because when someone is feeling like, well, we're not going to recover from this. I don't see any good, good out of this. One of the things I really try and do is teach my clients the truth of 
life happens for us, not to us. So we need to find out why is this happening for me? Um, you know, just like with my, when I said my addiction, if I could go back to my addiction, I mean, it happened for me. And how is that true? Because look what I get to do now. So if we stay the course through this pandemic, we are going to come out on the other side of it eventually. We are. I, I believe that. I don't know exactly when, but I, I'm telling you there's things in place that I think we're going to start coming back back to a place where it's somewhat normal. I really do believe that, you guys. And But I think it's happening for us. I, I think this is going to make us stronger, but we have to do our part as an individual. I can't. I have to be careful not to play the victim to what's going on and have more of like a champion mindset. Like, you know what, what can I learn from this and how can I be better and stronger through it? It's not the easiest thing to do, but I would say that's the biggest one is lack of, lack of hope. And then anxiety is just off the charts with most of my clients at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, and I love what you said. Life happens for us and not to us. That's something that I've heard you say multiple times uh, in the 20 or so years that, that we've known each other. Now, you call your podcast the Belief Cast. And I know that a lot of your speaking and your writing focuses around beliefs and that the belief is what yeah. drives a person uh, forward or backward, and that uh, a lot of your counseling and coaching that you do focuses on beliefs. Why do you take that approach? What is it about the belief system that has caused you to say, hey, I'm going to start there? There's a lot of areas where I can start, but I'm going to start with beliefs. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question. And I'm passionate about beliefs. And, and here's why. Because beliefs dictate behavior 100% of the time. Belief dictates behavior. And so what I learned and I didn't learn this until later on through training with my own, with mentors that I've had in my life and the training I've received is that I didn't have a drug or an alcohol problem. I had a thinking and belief problem. Because again, I believed I wasn't good enough. Ultimately, I believed I looked funny. I believed that uh, no girl's ever going to want to be with me. And so these negative, irrational beliefs were holding me back. And therefore, it dictated the behavior of drinking and doing drugs. So um, what I have found, and it's one of the most fascinating things, is when I'm working with a client, we, if, if for instance, I've got a, you know, I'm working, I mean, I have several of them, but I have a heroin addict that I'm working with where we don't ever talk about heroin and, and not doing heroin. What we talk about is what are the beliefs that lead you to behaving that way? And so that really is getting to the root cause. Slamming heroin is just a symptom of that cause, right? It, you know, of that, uh, of that issue with the belief. And so, you know, again, I'm just, it's so fun to watch someone identify these beliefs that are holding them back. And then we go through this, you know, little, uh, a program that we work on to changing those permanently. And then the, those irrational, unhealthy behaviors automatically go away. And so, um, and, and to be honest with you, that's why AA fails miserably. And if we're just going to be real here, AA's success rate nationwide is less than 6%. And not that AA is a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of good about AA, but what happens is they're talking about behaviors, quit, quit drinking, hold on for another 24, which is for someone who's day one trying to be clean. That makes a lot of sense. 
But if you want permanent lasting change, you have to change the belief. And so I was, I'm just really pa passionate about that. And, and I think that's what sets me apart from a lot of uh, counselors, therapists, and coaches is that that's where I get to the root cause of their behavior. That's really interesting because um, I had a moment yesterday where, you know, again, you know, when all of a sudden you have a paradigm shift uh -huh. and, and, and I love what you said about it's not the drinking and drug problem, it's a thinking problem. And I was looking at, I was just sitting there staring at my piano and it hit me that my piano is just this inanimate object. You know, when yeah. people ask me, is, is it hard to play piano? Well, the piano is just, you know, some technology, you know, it just, it doesn't do it. It doesn't have a mind of its own. Right. So hard is a term that comes from you. Yeah. And so to, 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 you look at a drug, a drug or alcohol doesn't think, it doesn't have a mind of its own. It does trigger what we think. So the fact that you literally force people to have a paradigm shift yeah. just would seem almost like lifting a burden. You know, I, I almost, when you were talking, I was imagining that I was an addict and you walked in and you said that to me, I could literally feel the shift of, Oh, it's, it's not the thing because the thing is inanimate. It's a dead object. It's yeah. triggering stuff in me. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Very well said, Miles. And what's funny when I'm when I'm sitting with a client, Miles, I'll sit there and I'll say, I'll ask him, "Are you a drug addict?" I mean, and here they are, they've been slamming heroin, right? And they're like, "Oh yeah," I'm, a, I'm like, "No, you're not." I said, and I'll ask him, "Did you use today?" And they'll say, "Well, no." And I said, "Did you use yesterday?" No. Well, then quit calling your calling yourself a drug addict. I said, mm, yeah. "That's not the problem. The problem is you think you're a drug addict, which keeps yeah. you behaving." that way. And I've got a very powerful story. If there's time, I'd love to share an experience I had at the, at the Utah state prison. That was just mind blowing. If we have time for that, if I, if I can go for it. Yeah. So, and, and I think you guys will love this and your listeners will really gain a lot from this. And so, you know, I've done several speaking events over the years. And again, very fortunate to do that. I have spoken at the Salt Lake youth detention many times and also Decker Lake. And those are two where they send trouble kids who unfortunately eventually end up in the, in the prison system. Well, a um, uh, little over a year ago, I got invited by Toastmasters to speak at the Utah State Prison, which one, I was excited, but at the same time, uh, it's brand new to me. So I was, had a little bit of a nervousness going on, but, but I ultimately was excited to go there. And so I get, I get there to the prison that, that day, and it's just what you think a prison would look like. You walk through the, the big fences with the barbed wire on top, metal doors. I have to go through a background check. Um, they put me through a metal detector. And when I get there, there's three guards st standing there, and they, they sit there and they kind of grill me and give me the lay of the land, right? And they said, if something goes down, make sure you're standing by one of us. I'm like, is there something to go down? You know, what's going on here? And anyway, so I get there, I, I walk into this, and it's called, it's promontory. And it's this gymnasium out at the prison. It's a cinder block gymnasium. It's not very big. And I walk in there and I found out later there was 120 inmates in there. So I walk in there. I have to walk in from the back into the front. They're all looking at me. You know, they're probably wondering, what's this dude going to tell us, right? <laughs> and um, 
So they want me to take an hour and 15 minutes with these guys. Before I get up to speak, there's three inmates that they gave five minutes each to, to share their story. And that was incredible. I'll tell you guys, when I got up to speak, these guys weren't talking to their neighbor. They weren't slouched in their seats. It was like they were full on attention. I, I mean, I speak at a lot of high schools and junior highs. And if you can keep those kids entertained for 45 minutes, you can walk on water. I mean, it's yeah. incredible, right? And so, yeah. but with these, with these inmates out at the prison, it was, I mean, they were locked in. So I, I share my story. I've, I can tell, you know how like when you've ever done a speaking event, you know when you got people in the palm of your hand. I mean, I had the group and we were connecting. Like I said, when you're never more fully alive when, than when you're connected. I was connecting with these guys. They were connecting with me. And then I had this impression come over me to ask him this question. How many of you in here are criminals? Raise your hand. <laughs> Every hand goes up, you know, and they're like looking at me like, dude, we're in prison. That's kind yeah. of a stupid question, right? <laughs> and, and, and with their hands up in the air, I said, why are you guys lying to yourselves? And the hands start to slowly go down. I said, you guys are lying. And again, they're looking at me all puzzled. Like, what are you talking about, Todd? And I said, how many of you committed a crime today? Raise your hand. Not one hand goes up. How many of you committed a crime yesterday? Raise your hand. Not one hand went up. And I said, see, you're lying. And then I said, how many of you have told the truth today? Raise your hand. It looked like every hand went up. I'm sure there might've been a few that didn't go up, but it looked like every hand was raised. And then I said, how many of you have done the right thing today when no one was looking? Every hand goes up. And then I asked him, how many of you have respected the rules here in prison today? Every hand goes up. And then I asked him one more question. I said, how many of you have been, been good and kind to your celly, to your cellmate? Every hand goes up. And I said, see, you guys have been lying to yourselves. You, you call yourself criminals, but what you're telling me right now is you guys are honest, you have integrity, you're respectful, and you're caring. I said, see, you've been lying. And I kid you not, guys, had I not been there, I got a three-minute standing ovation in wow. the cinder block uh, gymnasium. And it was echoing. It, I'm, I mean, I started tearing up. There was a guy like in the second row waving me down. And he says, hey, I'm like, what? He goes, can I come give you a hug? He comes up and hugs me. <laughs> and dude, and when they finally sat down, and I kid you, I wouldn't have believed it had I not been there. I was like, did that just happen? And then I said, guy, I said to him, what follows I am follows you. And when we were done, I kid you not, every single one, 120 of them came up, shook my hand, hugged me. And they said, we have never heard that before. They have an on-call therapist. It's there 24-7. This lady said to me, she goes, I am never going to let these criminals, quote unquote, ever call themselves criminals again. They're not criminals. And I said, exactly. So that was almost two years ago, Steve. They have changed that at the Utah State Prison. They don't, oh, they don't, they don't allow them to call themselves criminals anymore. Yeah. It was, I want to give you the a most innovation for that story, Todd, because uh, I want to beat what the uh, prisoners did. I want to, I want to give you a four minute, not a three minute standing ovation. That's great. <laughs> in all, in all seriousness though, I think, so you're a speaker and you've got great stories and great uh, things that you talk about. 
But sometimes when there are people that we hear speak, we say, well, hey, is that guy for real? Is that person really live what he does? And I'm here to tell you today, Todd is. And so I'm going to share part of the story. And I'd love for you to fill in on this okay. to show that you live what you preach. Um, you know, when we talk about beliefs, so I, I'm a big fan of Carol DeWick's research that she did and presented in her book, Mindset, because she talks about yeah. that there's essentially two different mindsets that we all adopt, either a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. And what yeah. you're talking about and what you teach people is adopting a belief system that pushes towards a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. Yeah. Um, and I love how you say that it's the things that you do based on those beliefs that really build who you are. And James Clear talks about that a lot in Atomic Habits, that if you're going to create a habit to get to where you want to be, you have to ask yourself, well, who do I want to be? So I remember a story, Tom, and I think you'll know where I'm going with this. A few years ago, when you and I were training together, um, and I was... Uh, you had come to me and said, hey, Steve, I want to put on muscle, muscle. I want to get uh, super ripped and big. And um, and you were doing a great job. You were pushing yourself and you were the type when we talk about all in. I remember testing you one day on that all in concept. And you said, OK, tell me what to do. And I said, OK, there's new research coming out of Germany that says if you go out in your backyard and you take a teaspoon and you put it in dirt and you eat that dirt, you're going to get the minerals and you're going to be uh, super strong. And you're like, awesome. And you write it down. And then you're like, what's next? And I paused and I said, God, I'm just screwing with you. Like, don't go <laughs> eat dirt. Dude, if you would have told me to do that, I'm going to do that. But I wanted to test to see if you really believed in this whole uh, push yourself and belief system. So there was one day where we're training and I told you, hey, go pick up a weight that you think you can do probably, what did I tell you? Six or eight repetitions with, right? Yeah, something that's really, six or eight is going to be tough at the end. Yeah. So then what happened? I'm going to let you finish the story from here. And then well, I'll brag the, about you. The way I remember it, it was actually the the, the pull-down tricep machine, if I remember correctly. You did okay. it several oh, times right. to me. Yeah. So you go, yeah. you go put on the weight that you can probably do maybe eight. Apologize. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, where you can do eight to 10 yeah. of them. I'm like, okay. So I put on some pretty heavy weight and I, I give it everything I can to get to eight. And then as soon as I get done with the eight, when you said, hold on a minute, you go, now I want you to do 25 more. And I was like, I looked at you like, what? He goes, yeah, you're going to do 25 more, go. And anyway, that's the way I remember it. And I, in at that time, I was like, there's no way I can barely do eight. And anyway, ended up doing 25 more. And boy, what a beautiful lesson that was for me at that moment. But uh, yeah. that's the way I remember it. Yeah. And, and what was amazing is that not only did you do it, but you walked away with these pumped triceps <laughs> and you never thought about training the same since then. And so you yeah. you... And I noticed the switch inside of you because we all have to have a coach. We all have to have somebody that pushes our belief system beyond sure. where we're at. I think that's what you do on a daily life. Um, what you, you said something in your story, uh, the prison, that really impacted me that I think is, is maybe a little bit too lost today. You said that you had this impression come over you to ask that question. Yeah. That use of intuition, listening to that voice that's inside of you. Yeah. All too often, Todd, 
uh, and again, this is my opinion, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, or anybody can correct me, but I'm going to disagree with them. Um, all too often, we are drugging ourselves by staring at a screen too much, and we don't even hear that intuition or that impression. And I think that's one of the things that's made you a successful coach, is you listen yeah. to that intuition. So knowing that you are the guy that does that, how do you stoke that fire? What does it take wow. to listen? I love it, I love it man. This is like, yeah, this is like my favorite question. Seriously, dude. I, so that, that intuition never would have happened had I not been doing my hour of power mm. because in that hour of power that my mentor told me to do 30 years ago, um, it puts me in a position to connect with and, and whatever your listeners, whether you believe in God or the universe or energy or whatever it is, it, it, I don't care. To me, it's all the same. We're, yep. It allows me to connect with that, which is inspiration, revelation, intuition. And because I went into that, I didn't, I didn't have that question ready to go. I, I've never done that question before. And I just was sitting there and it was like, boy, I, I need to ask him this question. And I just went with it. And I, I've learned to listen to that inner voice the good inner voice, right? We all have that negative one too, but there's one in there that tells us the truth. And so I'm not kidding you. That hour of power is the greatest gift I have ever given myself. And I'm so grateful to my mentor 30 years ago who told me to do this. And it's changed everything for me. So I put myself in a position, you said, yeah, you know, so let's social media. What does the hour of power look like for you? So if you kind of stoke that fire, inside of you so that you can connect with the inner goodness, the inner uh, light, the inner God, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. How do you, what, what does that hour of power look like? What's the framework for you? Yeah. yeah. So I, I started off by setting my intent. So, so something is similar, uh, something like this, like I'll say, I'll stand up and say out loud, I taught him full of energy, light and love today. And today's going to be a amazing. I don't hope for success today. I expect it and I demand it. So mm. I set my intent, something like that. When I was first getting clean, my first year of sobriety, my intent was this, and it's tattooed on my brain. I would say, I, Todd, am grateful to be clean and sober and nothing and no one in no circumstances ever going to change my mind. And anyway, so I would, I set my intent and then I read this thing called my personal declaration statement. It's like a it's like your own mission. It's like, a, you know, how a business has a mission statement. This is yep. like my mission statement, but I call it a declaration because when you declare something, you're acknowledging you possess it already. So I state it out loud. I, I've got it all written up and it's a living document that I edit and change all the time. And I'll tell you, this has been the best compass for my life. I look back on everything I've put in there and said has come to pass. It's unbelievable. Um, and so and I'll read that and then I'll spend 10 minutes imagining my declaration, the stuff, the, 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 the stuff in my declaration statement. So it's a technique that Olympic athletes Yeah. So I'll state my intent, read my declaration statement. That takes me less than five minutes. And then for 10 minutes, I'll just close my eyes. Um, sometimes I'll put on some soft, like meditation music, really low and I'll visualize doing my, anything that's in there, right? And uh, 
that technique is a technique that every Olympic athlete uses. It's a technique you were reinforcing every time I trained with you, Steve. Um, it is, it's amazing how powerful our imagination is because our brain doesn't know the difference between the two, a real event, or if you imagine it, doesn't know the difference. And so that's my first 15 minutes. And then that book I was telling you about earlier, Mind is the Master, this big, thick book, I'll spend the next 30 minutes reading, studying, pondering that book, writing down ideas, taking a paragraph at a time, dissecting it, making sure I understand what he's trying to relay. And then I'll put action items. I'll actually write them down. Here's my action items based off of what I'm reading right now. So I'll do that for a half hour. So there's 45 minutes. And then the last 15 minutes of my hour of power, I'll spend 10 minutes in the silence. I shut everything off, phone, everything, and I'll just sit there. And people say, uh, are you meditating? I mean, I guess you could call it, I don't call it that. I just, I just listen to the silent, whatever's, I mean, I hear my ears ringing I'll hear cars driving <laughs> by. I'll hear, you know, something trickling over there. I mean, it doesn't matter. And I just sit and listen. And I'll tell you, I have had more inspiration in that 10 minute time. Than <clears throat> I can even, if I, if I could show you the stack of inspiration of papers that I've written in, it, it will blow your mind. And then the last five minutes of my hour power, I do what I call give it away. Um, one of the most powerful principles on the planet Earth is if you want to be, give it away. So if I want to be inspirational, I, I'm going to give it away. So I will spend five minutes, handwrite a letter to someone, drop it in the mail. That's my hour of power. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, I love how you talk just about go over, I just want to rehash something. I, you just... Sure. You know, you were talking, and, and as as you were talking, especially the prison story. Um, again, you just these ideas that pop in about people and self definition, and it was interesting. You were asking these quote unquote criminals, "How many of you are criminals?" And you know, when you think about it, let's say a crime takes one to two hours, and it seems as if the, the person in prison has defined himself or herself in this two hour span where there's 22 other hours where there is either no definition of themselves or a lack of definition of themselves. So the, tw the two hours that they commit doing a crime and getting caught, that's the self-definition. And it seemed like when you stepped on stage and started at saying what you said, you had them start to realize, holy shit, outside yeah. of those two hours of crime, I'm somebody else. Yeah. And that's almost like the road back. Yeah, that's beautifully said, Miles. Uh, and it's a great point. You know, I had uh, um, this guy named Zach Sorensen. He's the mental performance coach for the Atlanta Braves on my podcast. And um, I stole this from him and I told him I was going to steal it from him. But he, he, he poses this question. Would you be willing to spend 1% of your day working on you, improving your life, making yourself better? And if you would do that, if it would guarantee that you would start experiencing happiness, more confidence, less anxiety, that kind of thing. And who's going to say no to that? Yeah, I, I would do 1%, right? And he broke it down. 1% of your day is 14 minutes and 24 seconds. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, so I say this to my clients all the time who, um, 
you know, do nothing really. And then I'm like, would you be willing to give 1%? And then I break it down. Okay. That's 14 minutes and 24 seconds that you need to work on you. So if I look at my hour of power, my hour of power is an hour, obviously that's probably about a little over four and a half, about four and a half percent of my day. That's it. I'm given four and a half percent of my day. And that four and a half percent has allows me to win the day. And so I love what you said, Miles. They define themselves in that two-hour period, but what are you doing the other 22? So yeah, let's start shifting yeah. that energy into something good. And it only has to be 1%, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so it's, it's amazing how we define or can define our life based on these small moments, right? Yeah. So you're talking about 4% of your day is spent into uh, growing and developing yourself. Whereas 1% for some people, that could be all it takes. And as Miles talked about, that maybe this was a short moment of their life that defines him. I'll tell you, um, not long ago, I watched one of the most impactful uh, TED talks that I watched was by Monica Lewinsky. Everybody knows Monica Lewinsky and sure. the moments that changed and defined her life by as she says in this TED talk, falling in love with her boss at the time. Her talk was unbelievable. Monica Lewinsky has redefined herself and has sure. created a life where she has uh, dedicated herself to, uh, you know, be against cyberbullying and bullying in general and yeah. awareness, just so many wonderful things. But how often do we really define ourselves and put ourselves down by one decision or one bad yeah. choice that we had or a few sure moments. And yeah. it's really unfortunate. We're, we're, we're kind of a stupid animal in that sense, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we define ourselves based on our most negative moments, our most negative experiences. Totally. And that's a great point, Steve. And this drives me nuts, especially in the recovery world. So think about this. Most of my clients from the time they're born, they typically, I would say the average age of when they start using or drinking for the first time is probably around 15 and 16 years old. And again, I know there's some fluctuation there, but that's roughly what I hear. So there's 16 years, let's just say it's 16. So the first 16 years, this person hasn't done anything in that realm. Then they get caught up in addiction, right? And they go, let's say the next 10 years, you know, as an example, kind of like me. Well, why? So what I'll do or what people will do is they'll define themselves as that 10 years of addiction. I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict. Oh, you're not going yeah. Oh, okay, Todd, when was the last time you had a drink? 31 years ago. Why can't I define myself with the first 16 years of my life? I was clean, right? Monica Lewinsky, I mean, she made a mistake, obviously, you know, and it became public. And, and for that woman to redefine herself is truly a, a test, testament to the power of the human spirit that we can go through anything and redefine whatever. And she could go crawl in a hole, which she probably did for a while and play sure. victim to what happened. But for her to go, and you know what? No more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shine because that one moment doesn't define all the years up into that moment. She, she's an amazing, amazing individual, just like we all are. But it's right. just funny how we define ourselves with a moment that we screwed up. And and so let's talk about a moment and also words, because I think words can be moments, right? As soon as we yeah. define ourselves, we've created a moment in our life. And yeah. you brought up the word anxiety before. And I think that uh, you this is a topic, Todd, that you and I have discussed, um, yeah. where 
both of us in our coaching have seen people talk about anxiety more so in the last probably what 10, 15 years than ever yeah. before. And you know, I think it's a it's a garbage word, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but it, I mean that in a way that we throw a lot of emotion, we throw a lot of things into this term anxiety, and we often use it as a as a scapegoat to not do right. certain things. Let's talk about anxiety. When you have somebody that comes to you that says, "Hey, I have anxiety or suffer with anxiety," what what do you uh, what's your response? How do you start to coach them through that? Yeah, that I love this, and this is, you know, this is one of those things. That it's one of my favorite things to do. I would say this is probably one of my specialties is helping uh, people overcome anxiety. And what's interesting, guys, is that when I ask someone to help define anxiety for me. I'll always say, define it for me. What, what, how do you define it? Most people, not all, but most struggle with even defining it. They're like, well, mm -hmm. I, gosh, I'm not sure. It's like falling off a step and you miss a step or, you know, it's, you know, I feel the, I feel, you know, like, you know, I'm running a marathon and I'm just sitting here and, you know, and so one of the things, I mean, one of my goals with my clients, and you know this too, Steve, is to help them when you can create more awareness around something you 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 get empowered right so we have to first define what it actually is <laughs> like even like people will say yeah i'm sober you know and i'll say oh we actually have to think about this rather than just blame yeah exactly it's funny like little side note people say yeah i've been sober for 30 days i'll go oh cool okay what does sober mean and they'll literally sit there i kid you not They've been saying sober for 50 years. And they're like, I have no idea what it actually means. And the definition <laughs> of sober is the periods in between using. So mm -hmm. what you're saying is you're in the periods before you relapse. So we got to get, I don't like the word sober. Why don't you say you're clean? Because that's final finality. Anyway, <laughs> don't get me started because I can go in that direction. But with, so here's the true definition of anxiety. It's a misuse of your imagination. That's all it is period. I love that. Yeah, because and, and Steve, I know you have anxiety. <laughs> Just when you're away. <laughs> well, think, you know, and here's why this is true, guys. Our, our, our brains and central nervous system does not know the difference between a real event or if we imagine it, yeah. right? Again, that's why Olympic athletes use uh, visualizing and imagining as part of their training because they have figured this out. Right. So if I'm imagining something bad's going to happen, for instance, your listeners, I'll put ask this question. Have you ever watched a scary movie? And as you're watching the scary movie, something jumps off the screen and you coil up to protect yourself in that moment. And in what you do is you you do that and then you start laughing, your heart's beating fast, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm in a movie. Why am I? You know, we kind of laugh about it. But in that moment, your brain believed it was real. It doesn't know mm -hmm. the difference. So yeah. when we're imagining something bad's going to happen, our brain and central nervous system thinks it's happening in the moment. That's why we yeah. feel anxious. See, yeah. it, it stems from our thinking and the way I'm imagining, right? So like if I'm giving a speaking event uh, next week um, and I'm sitting here worrying about it, what I'm doing is I'm imagining it's not going to go well, but I'm not even there yet. But here I am five, six days ahead of time, and I'm suffering. I'm causing myself this suffering, and it's not even here yet, but it's because of what the way I'm imagining it.
Well, and the, and the funny thing is, so I, one of my favorite books, and I know we've talked about this before on the, on the podcast, Mark Manson wrote a book called the subtle art of not giving a fuck. And he's talks in there about this idea of anxiety that we worry, like you're talking about, I'm worried about the event. Then we start to say, well, wait a minute, I shouldn't be worried. And so worry about worrying. And then we compound that and we start to tell a story that, oh, I'm better than this. I'm the speaker. I'm supposed to know how to overcome this stuff. And then we worry about the worrying. And then it just turns into this spiral that we get into where we're stacking false belief on false belief on false belief. And all of a sudden, our bodies short out. And we literally get this state that we get into where we just don't know what to do. So if I'm hearing you right, Todd, you're talking about that the first thing that you work with people on when they come in and they tell you that they've got anxiety is to define it. And then where do you go from there? What's next? So once we've defined it, what they feel and what does that look like and feel like, where do they go from there? I have them stop saying I have anxiety. Beautiful. Why? Because you're when you say that you're possessing again what follows i am follows you i'm a criminal okay then that's going to follow you around i have anxiety then that what i'm saying is i somehow have it i don't know how to get rid of it no there's moments where anxiety is something i struggle with that's mm-hmm. a better way of looking at it and that's you know again that's quit possessing terrible. it yeah you know that actually goes with cognitive behavioral therapy which is one Absolutely. of the most effective ways of, of counseling through this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, re- it's remarkable. Those two things alone are, are remarkable. And so, but you know, and then what I get into is like, when they say, like, I'll give you an example. When I have a client, I'll I usually start off my session. I'll say, Hey, how you doing? Obviously. And they'll go good. And, and then I come right at them. Why? I'm not kidding. Mm. It's, it's so, I love it. Hey, how you doing? Good. Why? And they're like, I don't know things. I'm just, no, I'm like, no, there's a reason why you're doing good. And then they'll give me all kinds of the, you know, answers. And I'll say, no, the reason why you're doing good is because you're thinking good thoughts. Because here's the principle behind it. We think and then we feel. We don't feel and then we think. Our thoughts create emotions every time. And so we start talking about that, how it's our thinking that makes us feel. So if someone's feeling good, I can guarantee you they're thinking good thoughts. Yeah. But if someone's feeling anxious, I can guarantee you that they're thinking thoughts of something that they're scared about, they're worrying, and their thoughts are on something negative, without a doubt. Yeah, it's interesting. I love how you talk about that. If you say it, you possess it, right? I am or I have, you're possessing it. I remember years ago, I uh, there was a situation, one of the managers that worked for me uh, had... Um, a young lady call in to work and just said, Hey, I don't want to come into work or I'm not, I, I'm not going to come in. So this manager came to me um, frustrated and upset saying, I'm going to work her shift. But you know, uh, there, there was a whole backstory to this, but uh, the, the long and the short of it was uh, the manager worked the shift for that employee. And we set up a meeting to sit down and talk about uh, why this employee had missed her specific shift. Well, between the time that we had set up the meeting and she actually showed up, she went online and blasted this manager on social media. A <laughs> uh, horrible person, yada, yada, and, and had a public profile. And so all of this was out there. It got brought to my attention and, you know, was just uh, wildly inappropriate. So who was it? we sit down. I want to know. 
Tell you after. <laughs> it was Miley Riley's. Um, so we sit down, and the young lady sitting across from me, I said, so the reason we're here today is to talk about two things. Number one, uh, that you didn't show up for your shift. Uh, and then number two, that you had posted some things that I would you know, consider not appropriate for uh, working in a cohesive environment that we like to have here uh, at our workplace. And her response to me was, I don't feel safe. And I paused right there because I didn't know what that meant at the time. I didn't know that that was in the lexicon that we're using today. And I said, I, I'm, I'm sorry, what do you mean you don't feel safe? What is that? I just don't feel safe. And I said, are, are, are you don't feel safe because you're sitting in here with me and your manager? Mm -hmm. you, you don't feel like you, like, what, what do you mean? I don't feel emotionally safe. So this was the first time that I got introduced to this concept of emotional safety, right? Yeah. And so I, I asked her a few more questions to really dig deeper because I truly didn't understand what she was talking about. And, she, and what it came to be was that she just didn't feel emotionally comfortable. And so I said, you know, I can imagine that it's not an emotionally comfortable thing to be sitting here with your boss and your boss's boss to have this conversation. And, you know, while it might be a little bit uh, uncomfortable right now, it's certainly something that we need to lean into that discomfort because I think there's going to be some positives on the other side of this. Anxiety, emotional safety, some of these words that we've put into our lexicon and that we have almost overused in my perspective have become excuses rather than definitions. Now, again, that's my perspective. You can disagree with me all you want. Um, Todd, when someone comes to you and you're telling them, hey, we're going to get away from using this as an ownership and we're going to use it to help dig deeper, what resistance do you run into when people still want to own that word or that thing? Yeah, that's a great one. I get a lot of resistance. You know, they they will basically, they, they struggle with it because it's like, it can't be that simple, Todd. <laughs> I get this. It's the biggest lie I hear from my clients. It can't be that simple. That's the number one yeah. lie I hear. It can't be that simple. And the truth of the matter is with 31 years of experience backing this up is it is that simple, but I do get a ton of resistance because again, we love what we're comfortable with, even if it's negative, even we, again, you know, this, you know, when you train people and even when you were training me back in the day to, to, to get in shape, you know, it's uncomfortable to, do something different. It's uncomfortable to do 25 more reps. I don't want to do 25 more reps, but then I end up doing it. And then we have these breakthroughs. And so, so it's funny too, as you were sharing your story about the, the girl not feeling safe, one of the most powerful things I do with, so I'll have clients who are like, I'm going to have a panic attack. I'm going to have a panic attack, you know, and they come in and I'll, and you know what I say to them, have a really good one. Go for it. Go, <laughs> Go all in. <laughs> I, really, I go, go have a really good one. And they look at me like, what? I'm like, no, have a really good, have a, no one's ever died of a panic attack. Go. So have a good one. I'll, I'll watch go. And then they, just by saying it like that, they have it's shifted gone. their thoughts. Like I'm, I'm a jerk. You know, I don't, I'm insensitive, but also they go and I go, and we start talking about that. And within seriously 60 seconds, I'll go, how do you feel now? And they're like, uh, I'm not going to have a panic attack. I go, exactly. I go, and then I'll just say, you're welcome. 
You know, it's funny you bring that up, and I and I uh, I, I joke, and I'm a bit vocal, uh, or maybe beyond vocal at times with some of this lexicon. And when you talk about, you know, this idea of panic attack, I mean, they're obviously very real. People do have them, right? For sure. I've, but I've had them. I've had them. I, I have as well. Yeah, I remember one time <clears throat> where I was about something and then I let that thought continue on. And here I am in the middle of traffic in a big city and I'm having a panic attack, stuck in traffic and wondering where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Yeah. And then I got through it and it was fine. Yeah. But I, it's interesting that when you say, that you challenge them in that moment or you distract them. The power of the mind is unbelievable. We can truly create whatever we want. You mentioned earlier that when you write down, you spend part of your hour of power writing down some of the things that you're going to accomplish, some of the things that you want to do, and you have achieved everything on that list. Now, over the years, I've talked about journaling and, and, you know, not like little Sally Sue writing and drawing flowers and <clears throat> here, here's my day. But I think like you, I journal uh, thoughts, ideas, emotions um, that have happened and things that I want to happen. And that's the majority of my quote unquote journal is planning and expectations and things that I'm going to do. How do you utilize the tools of writing, journaling, or uh, having people spell out their emotions and their plans? What, what, is, what does that look like in terms of your coaching and your counseling? Well, yeah, again, knowledge is power, right? And so if I don't know what I'm challenged with, if I don't know what my irrational beliefs are, um, the, how can I fight it? How can I change it? How can I fix it, right? And so you know, I'm always challenging my clients. I actually have a, a bunch of exercises throughout the program that I, that I offer where I haven't, I'm having them write down all kinds of things. And one of the, one of the main things is what are the negative things you're telling yourself? And it's a very uncomfortable assignment because no one wants to do that. Because the, if we're, if we're honest about this list, the list is a mile long, right? And so that, that in itself is a very powerful tool that I've used with my clients but again, if we don't know where the enemy's coming from, how can we, you know, we're going to be, we are going to be somewhat anxious figuring out where's it coming from. But once we, once we figure it out, okay, here's, here's what I'm telling myself. Here's what needs to change. Boy, that, that is empowering because now, now I know what to go attack. Now I know what to start really, truly working. That's what I know where I can spend 1% of my day. If I, if I'm, if I'm walking around, telling myself I'm not good enough. And I figured that out through a journaling process. Now I can spend 1% of my day, 14 minutes, 24 seconds, telling myself in the mirror that I'm a good person and that I do matter. It might sound, it might sound a little silly, but it's, it's amazing. Imagine that it it's, it's, it's life changing. So I think writing things down and being aware of what we're struggling with is important for sure. I, th I think, um, we also, we have to be careful, um, not too careful, but we have to be careful in understanding that the three of us, everything we've talked about are these tremendous tools. And many people walk around not even understanding their negative tools. Right. They're just, this has a lot to do with consciousness and awareness. And even those two words are tremendous tools. 
So if yeah. you have no idea what consciousness is, awareness, and you've just kind of fallen into this pattern in your whole life, and then there's these guys or these people that come along and start saying things like, do this, do that, how do you feel here? That could be pretty, it seems like it could be pretty frightening and jarring because yeah. you're jarring a person out of this 10, 20, 30 year habit. Yeah. yeah. And they look at you like, what the hell are you talking about, man? <laughs> you know, I mean, Tiago, my son, I'll say some things to him and he'll look at me like, what the hell are you talking about, dad? And you can see he has no basis of, you know, yeah. how do you look outside of yourself? Yeah. You know, to tell that to a 12 year old kid. So how do you handle when somebody comes in and you just see this chasm of unconsciousness and lack of awareness? Yeah. Because you got to start building these tools to yeah. fit them. Yeah. It's a great question, Miles. You know, one of the first things I tell my client, I, I, I pride myself. I don't know if this is fact or not, but I, I say it anyways. <laughs> I think I'm the only counselor therapist coach in the country or in the world that will tell the client on the very first session that there's nothing wrong with them. <laughs> and the reaction, just like you said, like when you're talking to your 12 year old sons, like what? They look yeah. at me like I'm freaking crazy. And then I'll say, but you do believe that something's wrong with you. And they'll go, oh, yeah. And I'll say, prove it to me. And then I just shut up. I zip it. And it's like this awkward silence. And, and they'll sit there and they'll be like, uh, well, I'm like, yeah, prove to me something's wrong. I go, I get it. You've got some irrational behaviors and some negative behaviors you're doing. I get it. And that does need to stop. I get it. But prove to me to your core, something's wrong with you. Prove it to me. That's and awesome. Without, and without fail, they literally just go, they can't say it. And I go, why can't you say anything? And they go, cause it's not true. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, that is funny to Bring that up, Todd. So I, I'm I'm drawing parallels here. When you started in the business uh, back in what 1989, you had a, a nonprofit called Sly Dog, uh, drug free. That's me. And you had this yeah. character, really cool, uh, a, a Sly Dog that would you'd go around and you would talk about being drug free. Uh, in his book, uh, Mans Mark Manson talks about. Uh, what if there was a superhero called Disappointment Panda that would come around and just tell us the truth that we don't want to hear, but we need to hear? <laughs> right. And asking the questions like, okay, so prove it to me. You really believe this? Prove it to me. You're really that bad? Prove it to me. Yeah. And I think when we face that negativity, it's amazing how much of that just flies away and we can start to build from there. But I would say, too, that one of the most important things is to get a coach if you're struggling to have somebody that can coach you and help you yeah. through this because uh sure. as you said before todd that really we've got to be able to connect and connection is yeah. the opposite of addiction so uh if people want to get a hold of you for coaching uh and help how do they do that what's the best way for people to get a hold of you to get coached by you or to get some of the great resources that you've put out there uh, so that they can coach via your books or other things that you put out. Sure. No, thanks for asking. Um, you know, my social media handle is uh, at TS Inspires. You can, uh, that's my Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter. 
You can always DM me on any of those. Uh, Instagram is probably a big one. LinkedIn as well. I'm also on LinkedIn. That's another great way if you're on LinkedIn. And and uh, I have a website, which is uh, toddsylvesterinspires.com. Uh, you can learn more about me. I've got a video right there on the main page that kind of talks about some of the stuff that I do. You can sign up for coaching, or if you want to hire me for a speaking event, you can do it right there on the main page of my website. And uh, so, you know, and you can always email me, um, uh, Todd at ToddSylvesterInspires.com as well, and, and reach out to me that way. Uh, if you want to uh, read or check out some of my, I got two books, um, I Am Recovered and It's Time to Start Living. They're both on Amazon and, uh, you know, they're, they're doing really well. Uh, they're very simple books. But again, what I've learned through the years, Steve, is simplicity is power. I think, yeah. especially in the recovery world, we, we, we muddy the waters. It's like, no, 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 let's clean it up. And you've heard many of that today, how simple this stuff is we're talking. But yeah, reach out and, you know, and if you love podcasts, you know, check out my podcast. It's called, I call it a belief cast, the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. And I'm on all major podcast outlets. It's, it's trending on iTunes and Google right now, which is remarkable. I'd love to have your support. And boy, I've had some amazing guests. Steve, you've been on there, obviously. And uh, anyway, I yeah, that would be the best way to do those things. That's great. And Todd, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing a bit of your story. Yeah. What you, how you're helping people to evolve. At the Evolve Podcast, we talk about that evolution is a, a combination of both our choices and then also how we respond to the challenges of life. Yeah. And I think that your story is uh, paramount in that of saying that you have had challenges in life, you have overcome them, and you have truly become an inspiration for others. So Todd Sylvester, we really appreciate you coming on. Please give my uh, love and my thanks to your beautiful wife for uh, letting us steal some time away from family today. Uh, I know you've got a lot of kids and grandkids at this point that uh, are, are probably clamoring to get your attention. So we're grateful that you gave us your time today. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we are. And, and uh, obviously, for anyone who has been listening to us, we are missing our, our cohort and our partner, Casey Mitchell. He's traveling today with his son. I think all of us are fathers and we are uh, uh, sad to see Casey not here with us, but we're grateful that he's out being a dad and supporting his son uh, in his traveling cross tournament. Uh, so, Miles, you want to tell people how they can get a hold of us? Where is the best way to find the Evolve podcast and what we do? Uh, Instagram, just go to Instagram, and that's uh, Evolve at uh, it's at, at Evolve um, on Instagram. Yeah, uh, go check us out. Cast. What's that? Evolve your score cast. Right. Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> and uh, check us out. Um, give us little critiques. Talk to us, and we've got gear. We got. Actually, the website is up gear now. Am I right now? The, the yeah. shop is open. That's what I meant. Shop. There you go. You can get the your shop evolve. is open. Yep. Shop. We got mugs. We got mugs. We got hoodies and hats. And I don't have any of that stuff, but we got them. <laughs> do, I, do I get a free mug for being on the show? <laughs> I'll get you a hat and a mug. You bet. <laughs> well, Todd, we really appreciate you coming on to a, uh, a great episode of the Evolve podcast. Uh, looking forward to people connecting with you and getting coaching uh, and to continue their uh, personal evolution. Again, the, the podcast today was sponsored by 
uh, Miles' food and my wife's cookies. Uh, so with that, it is for you to get out there and evolve. Thanks for listening. Join us next time as we talk to the winningest coach in U.S. history, former coach of the Highland Rugby Team, motivational speaker, radio talk show host, and CEO of Columbus Travel, Coach Larry Delwitz. And don't forget, we have special edition disrupt shirts and sweatshirts on the website for the month of March. Get yours today before they run out.